with the Twitter files trending and so many people looking at Elon Musk as a champion for free speech, we thought it would be a good idea to answer the question as to whether or not Elon Musk is a gift from God or the devil's champion. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a number of different things regarding none other than maybe the most infamous man on earth right now, at least probably the most richest man on earth right now, and that is Elon Musk. And one of the things we want to look at is just where he stands in terms of some of the ways he believes, some of the things he thinks about God and so forth, some of the things that he's tweeted out or said in interviews, and also look as to some of the people that he has had children with, some of the people that he's dated, some of the people that are in his inner circle, and whether or not he is truly this champion uh, for some people or if he is actually the devil's champion. But before we get into that, I just want to encourage you right now to subscribe to Good Fight Ministries' YouTube channel. You can also check this out anywhere podcasts are found. And make sure to leave a review that gets us up towards the top so more and more people can hear the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. But back to the topic, it is important for us to look at this because a lot of people are seeing what is going on with Twitter. They see the Twitter files coming out. They see, hey, look. The FBI seems to be exposed. You have an entire situation where it looks like Democrats were really trying to be fraudulent when it came to the election, something that a lot of people said and a lot of people denied. And it seems like the way that they use Twitter and uh, I guess you would suppress certain things. It's like, hey, this is really good to get this out there and this is really good information. And it certainly is to understand some of the underpinnings and some of the things going on to usurp certain wills of voters and certain wills of people who don't want to have um, people who want to murder babies as leading their government. But nonetheless, as we look at it himself, Elon Musk is somewhat of an interesting figure. And most people will point out to some of his views when it comes to AI and also his investments with Neuralink and so forth. And some people are even saying, hey, it looks like Elon Musk might just be the Antichrist. That's actually a very popular opinion you might see online. And most recently, he's done nothing to quell the concerns for many, especially in his most recent costume on Halloween at the Heidi Klum Halloween bash, where he actually dressed up in a costume that was $7,500. Now, for Elon Musk, who can pay $44 billion just to have Twitter, that doesn't seem like so much money. But nonetheless, spending $7,500 on a costume that is literally called the Devil's Champion, that is adorned with Baphomets and upside-down crosses. And not only did he wear this, but he also put this as the profile picture for his Twitter page. So it seems like he likes the way he looked in the Devil's Champion costume. So that will not quell anyone's belief who might think that he might just be the Antichrist. And some of the things he said are quite interesting when it comes to uh, artificial intelligence or AI and how his concerns are 
As many people would say with AI, they might look to a film like Terminator or other films that have used this idea of computers becoming self-aware and then enslaving humankind. The Skynet funding bill is passed. The system goes online on August 4th, 1997. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. And that is a very popular outlook in a number of movies, whether they're starring Arnold Schwarzenegger or Will Smith or otherwise. But this is a concern for many people. But when it comes to Elon Musk, the concern that he raised when it came to the issue of AI was not the fact that AI might become self-aware and then enslave the human race like we see in those films, but his concern was that a dictator might actually get a hold of AI and have control of it. And others might say that he's the one who wants to have the control of it, and it's why he is the one ultimately raising so many of these concerns. So when we look at what his views are, it is important for us to say, okay, what does this guy actually believe and what does he actually stand for? Because a lot of people think that he's just a champion for free speech, but then they point out to the different types of free speech that are being allowed and so forth with different figures. And it is a hard line to kind of draw and say, well, these people aren't allowed to talk, but these people are. And now that he owns the company, now it is his view of what free speech means, I guess, because he is the owner of that private company. But when we look at that, we say, okay, so who is this guy that is handling this? What What is his background? What is he into? And so some people have pointed out, and he was a huge fan of the Babylon Bee, and he even went on to their show. And we discussed this at length on a show we did regarding Elon Musk going on Babylon Bee and them not really doing a great job of preaching the gospel there. Now, I actually enjoy, I, th I think that they are quite funny, a lot of those articles that Babylon Bee puts out. Um, I do think Seth Dillon really does love the Lord, but I also believe that there was an absolute failure in his presentation, or even the joking of trying to share the gospel and get him to say the sinner's prayer. As a joke, I don't know, Seth wasn't the one who said that specifically, but I was very disappointed with that. But regardless of that, Elon Musk's statements during that interview where he talked about Spinoza's God, got a lot of people going, wait, what? who is Spinoza and so forth? And we, can, we go much more at length in the video in the description you can see where we talk about what Spinoza's God really is and how it really is an impersonal God. It's more of pantheism and so forth. But without getting too far into there, there are some more recent comments about God and what he thinks about God. And I want you guys to hear it because it's very important for us to have a good aspect of what does Elon Musk actually believe in terms of being there being a creator? I would say I generally agree with the teachings of Christianity, but I'm not religious. Like I agree with- Do you like, believe in a higher power? And like, you know- like, like turn the other cheek and love the neighbor as myself and that kind of thing. I think those are good principles. The teachings of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think good principles. But do you believe in like a God or like a higher power? Well, something created the universe or the universe is, you know, here. How did it come to be? Um, you could say whatever caused the universe to come to be is God or, you know, God's depending on your view. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think... As a philosophy that I, a philosophy that I think makes sense, 
is to go out there and to, is to expand consciousness so that we're better under better able to to answer the questions of like what is the meaning of life what is the nature of the universe what are even the right questions to ask and if mm -hmm. we can expand consciousness more humans and more digital intelligence then our opportunity to understand the meaning of life is is that much greater Deep. and so i would call like say like i have the philosophy of curiosity to understand the nature of reality now it does seem like he's still espousing somewhat of that spinoza's god so to speak this impersonal being this creative being but it does seem like there is some searching there but one of the things that I think is also good to point out is that what he seems to be engaging in, and I believe that a lot of the engaging that's going on with him, even in that aspect of that interview, and also with some of these things that he's pushing or some of these like Neuralink and so forth and talking about AI in the way he does, a lot of these fall under the category of a literal immortality project. And you see... There are symbolic immortality projects, and these are those things that have been around, I believe, for for just about ever, uh, for human beings, that is, in terms of making your life mean something and live off in immortality through some symbolic meaning. For Albert Einstein, that was none other than your children, that you're supposed to live through your children. The problem with that is that most people don't even know the first name of their great-great-grand parents. And so even if they do know the name of their great-great-grandparents, they usually don't have anything in regards to their day-to-day -day life where it has an effect on them. So this idea of them living through their children and their children's children and so forth really is something that in practicality doesn't actually get practice. And so, so many people build up these symbolic immortality projects where if I get this book done, then it'll be passed down and read and everyone will remember me, just like Homer's Iliad or anything like that. Or if I just can do this project, how many people are fighting for climate change all over the world? And one of the things they're doing is they are covering, and this is something that's happening right now, they are now covering Van Gogh paintings and so forth in different whatever gross material to cover over it to show the importance that we need to change climate change. And really, when it comes to what they're doing, they're throwing junk all over a symbolic immortality project by Vincent Van Gogh or anyone else. And basically, they're saying, my, my project is more important. And you, if you try to stop my project, you're honestly killing them twice because one day they are going to die. And not only are you killing, they're going to die there, but they're going to die twice because now you are killing their symbolic immortality project. And there is a wonderful book that I get a lot of these analogies from, and that is a book called Immortal by Dr. Clay Jones, who we've interviewed on that book, as well as his book on the problem of evil. And I think he does a great job of expressing this. And one of the things that he brings out in that book is exactly what we're talking about. And this idea that you are going to kill their symbolic immortality project, because ultimately they can save someone down the line if we can change what happens, if we can get back into the Paris Accord and we can stop having fossil fuels, and if we do something right now and change the weather and whatever, then guess what? They can live on because they've helped others to live. Now, those are symbolic immortality projects, but the projects like Elon Musk is talking about 
of developing this consciousness and using engineering and so forth to do it, those are not symbolic, but those are literal immortality projects. And it's very interesting when you look at it and you look at some of the projects they're doing because the symbolic method of this, you can actually see King Solomon talking about it over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, whether it's through your children that you live and so forth. I'm actually going to read from Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, when he was talking about everything being done under the sun, he says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial. But I then say, better the miscarriage than he. So basically, what Solomon is saying is there's no afterlife here, and we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, if there's no afterlife here, then even if you get all these children and so forth, but you don't get pleasure out of it, ultimately it'd be better to be miscarried than to live on in this capacity, even with having all the children, even with having all these pleasures that you could have. Well, guess what? If there's no ultimate end where we get to be with our creator, it's all it's all whatever. It means nothing in the end anyways. In Ecclesiastes 5, he puts it like this, to enjoy everything now. He says, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him. For this is the reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive this reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. But it's interesting because in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, one of the things that Solomon brings out is the fact that God has set eternity on our hearts and that it is better for man to go to a place of mourning than a place of feasting because they consider their end. What happens with these symbolic or literal immortality projects is that it puts a band-aid on the bullet wound of eternity and death. Because what takes place is instead of actually figuring out what's going to happen, because no matter how long you live in this life, the truth is, is when you die, you will live on much longer. And that's even understanding it from a non-believing perspective, you will be dead a lot longer than the amount of time that you've been living. So knowing what happens after that should be of utmost importance. In fact, philosophy since the time of Aristotle and Plato and even modern philosophers today say that the practice of philosophy specifically is how do we deal with death? How is death to be dealt with? That's what ultimately the end of all philosophy is. How do we deal with the reality that at one point, every single person will die. And so these immortality projects that Elon Musk and the like are trying to do, whether symbolic, which I believe that probably buying Twitter and being a champion for free speech probably entails an, a symbolic immortality project, something that he can hold on to and say, look what I did. Look at all this money I made. Look at all of this. But then when we look at it and we see the literal ones that are going on, some of the freezing that people are going through. And you're wondering, who on earth would freeze themselves after they die so eventually, hopefully, when technology gets better, they'll be able to fix all the problems and they'll be able to live again so they can be immortal 
if they simply get frozen. This happened with Ted Williams. Larry King talked about doing this as well. And even Seth MacFarlane. And if you don't know who Seth MacFarlane is, Seth MacFarlane is the creator of the show Family Guy. And he is an avowed agnostic slash atheist. He comes out against God and mocks God in his shows and so forth. But he has a lot of faith in science. And his belief is that science will eventually be able to figure out how to make him eternal. And the problem is, is that we can't do this. And the problem is, is their understanding that is different from the objective truth of Scripture is one that is merely physical, that it takes your consciousness and makes it physical. It makes it simply brainwaves moving through your head. But the Bible says, concerning the Word of God specifically, that it cuts through soul and spirit, bone and marrow. We know that the the Bible itself can cut through those things, and we know that man is not simply brainwaves running back and forth. There, there is a reality of the eternal. There is a reality of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the fact that he died a horrible death on the cross for the sins that we committed and didn't stay dead, but actually rose again so we can have full confidence that everything he did and said in his life is true. And I can put my trust in everything that Jesus said and did. I don't need to make immortality projects because I find immortality in the eternal life that I find in Christ. And that is my only hope and having a better and more robust view of the afterlife that is consistent with the risen King of Jesus Christ and how he described it is how we are going to have confidence and not have to make up symbolic or little immortality projects where the Silicon Valley is investing millions and millions of dollars in order to try to get their conscience into a computer so that they can live on forever. These are futile. All of this is futile under the sun. And I pray that anyone that is involved in this comes better to, the, to a better understanding. I think it's best for us to look at the man who had all the riches, all the wisdom, all the women, and everything he wanted in the person of Solomon. And when he said all of these things that seem existential in a lot of their espousing, but then we find that at the end of his life, he recognized that you need to actually do what's good. You need to do what's right. You need to follow God's commandments because at the end of the day, after everything's been said, after everything's been done, every single person will come under judgment before God. And that includes Elon Musk. And that includes everyone else mentioned. No matter how much you think that you can put your faith in science that one day they're going to find out a cure. I'm sorry. Eventually you will meet the Lord and prepare to meet your maker and be prepared in the proper clothing because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ when you go to meet him. That is an encouragement to you. But even though I wanted to get those aspects out of the way, we do have some disturbing things when it comes to Elon Musk. In fact, this was a tweet that he tweeted out in response to someone mentioning, he joked around on May 8th and said, if I die under mysterious circumstances, it's been nice knowing you. And a Muslim replied to him, name Muhammad. He said, you won't die before your day, Elon. Anyhow, you are and were a unique figure in this world. I am wondering one thing. As a genius, haven't you found out that there is a great creator of this world yet? If you did, make sure you confess this before your last heartbeat. Bless you. And Elon Musk responded, thank you for the blessing, but I'm okay with going to hell if that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. Now, sadly enough for Elon, you see this tweet, uh, this response on there, and he said other things now more recently 
concerning Jesus specifically, um, when he responded to Kanye West before he was banned from Twitter for posting a Israel or Jewish cross or Jewish star with a swastika in the center, he wrote to him and said this. Jesus taught love, kindness, and forgiveness. I used to think that turning the other cheek was weak and foolish, but I was the fool for not appreciating its profound wisdom. So that sounds really good. I, I think that there, hopefully there's some learning there that can be done and that he doesn't just accept the fate of going to hell because he denies Jesus Christ and attempts to build his own Tower of Babel in order to reach this consciousness that will then explain the meaning of life when the meaning of life is found not in a thing or an idea or philosophy, but in the person of Jesus Christ. But I'd have to say that hell talk, the wearing of the costume known as the devil's champion, these things are what truly concerns me when I think of that attitude next to the people he has chosen to bed with. I guess, for a lack of a better term. And in fact, Grimes, who he had his most recent children with. Grimes, who is a Canadian artist. And I want to go over a couple of these songs, and we'll have to do it in a fast pace. But I want to go over a couple of these songs, because she has a song that's actually titled Genesis. Before I even get into that song, Grimes herself actually sold her soul. And you might say, oh, you're crazy. Actually, these are the words of Vogue magazine. Grimes is selling her soul. No, really. You see, Grimes ended up auctioning her soul off as a part of an art exhibit. And it's very interesting, especially when we look at, and these are the mother of his children, not all of his children, but some of his children. These are some of the lyrics. This is some of the music that she has put out. In her song, Genesis, that has over 75 million views, it is a sexually charged video and has a young woman inside of a limo with a snake wrapped around her neck. Then towards the end of the video, she's in control of a flaming sword going back and forth. And guess what? In the book of Genesis, after the fall, there might have been a serpent involved there. After the fall, we read in Genesis 3.24, so he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. And in her newest music video, New Gods, she's on a throne with a skull of a defeated foe behind her as she plays with a sword in her hand. And some of the lyrics go as such, are you a man? Are you something I can't stand? Hands reaching out for new gods. You can't give me what I want, but what do I know? Oh, what do I know? I want to let go. I want to let go. I wear black eyeliner, black attire. Yeah. So take me higher and higher and higher. But the world is a sad place, baby. Only brand new gods can save me. Only brand new gods can save me. What I found very interesting about those music videos and the darkness of them, of a woman who has sold her soul for an art exhibit, is the interesting connection with Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes to preach the gospel on Mars Hill. And one of the things he mentions is that the Epicurean and the Stoics and so forth, and then some of the other philosophies, they were always excited to have this new thing, this new God and, and, and everything. And Paul went, goes back and points them to the one true God and says that God has appointed for all of us to come under judgment. Every single person will come under judgment. 
and that you've been placed in the time, place, province, everything, where you've born, when you were born, and all of that was for one purpose and one purpose only, that you may seek, grow, and possibly find the one true God. And when I look at some of the other relationships that Elon Musk has had, they are also quite unnerving, you would say. In fact, Amber Heard is one of the other women he's had trysts with. And what's really disturbing is not only the fact that Amber Heard has dated the likes of James Franco, who also is a practicing Satanist who's done films and music videos with the likes of Kenneth Anger, but Amber Heard herself. She actually posted pictures of what looked like the party, the theme of the party was a satanic sex witch rule. But Amber Heard and Grimes are not the only ones that seemingly have satanic connections because even Azalea Banks says that Grimes contacted her in order to hook up with Elon Musk and that she was grossed out about the idea. And in fact, Azalea Banks herself was steeped in controversy when she uploaded a live video showing herself cleaning out her cage where she actually sacrificed chickens because... According to her, she's actually a witch. I mean, these are the people, some of which he attempted to be with, or he actually was with. These are the people around him. And I'm sorry, with his involvement with AI, with his, involume, with, with his involvement with Neuralink, with his dressing up as the devil's champion, with his relationships and all of these things, this is someone at the very least who clearly needs Jesus. It is also a person that I would say, because of his power and influence, that we should be watching out for what he's really getting into. And we should not be linking arms and hope and saying, this is our guy, this is our champion, but also saying, do we have an ability, do we have a way to share the gospel because of things that he has done in terms of allowing Jesus to be talked about more openly on Twitter or something. I, in all honesty, we don't use Twitter that much, so I don't know how openly Jesus was or, or is not used on the platform. But nonetheless, whatever we have before us, and it doesn't matter if it's closed off and you're having to share the gospel in caves or if you have the ability to share it on the open square without anybody harming you, whatever you have used to bring forth the gospel, because whether figurative, symbolic, or literal, these immortality projects will be burnt to a crisp, and only if you have the eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ will you be found worthy to enter his kingdom, not because of your works, but because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is Chad Davidson, and this is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.